So every one of you should have got this morning a packet of M&Ms. If you haven't got one, you want to put your hand up. And Amanda will give you a packet of M&Ms. See, look, you come to church, you get M&Ms, people. So just wait for everyone to get one. I think there's some at the back there, Amanda. So what I want you to do this morning is this pack of M&Ms. I want you to open it. Open the corner. Open it. I don't care how you open it. Oh, like tear it right open. As long as they don't come rolling down here to the stage, you know, like you do in the movie theater. Don't you hate that when you have candy and you're like dropping it rolls down the movie theater? So uh, if you want to open it, and I want you to take one M&M out, and you are allowed to eat one M&M. Just one, okay? No cheating. Remember, God's watching you people. So one, take one. You can eat one, Okay. One thing about M&M's that I used to do when I was a kid, I don't know if I had a little bit of OCD back then or not, but I used to love M&M's. M&M's are like one of my favorite snacks. And what I would do, I'd tip all the M&M's into a jar, and I would look, and I would, I would separate them all into colors, and then I would look and try to find the ones where the M is faded. And they would be the ones that I eat first, the ones with the M faded. So at the end, I've got these perfect ones with perfect M's on there. And so I love M&M's, and they are my favorite snack. So now what I want you to do, you've all eaten one. I want you to hold on to this pack of M&M's for the rest of the service, and you are not allowed to eat any more. And we can hear the rustling if you do. So hold on to them. You are not allowed to eat any more M&M's, which is going to be pretty hard because let's be honest, you eat one M&M and I'll be honest, I've just eaten one and I really want to eat another one now because they're very addictive. So hold on to this pack of M&M's. There's a purpose for this. I'll be honest, it's going to be very hard for you to do that this morning unless you just don't like chocolate. If you don't like chocolate, then there's something wrong with you. But M&M's. I cannot be patient enough when there's M&M's in the house. If there's M&M's in the house in the bowl, every time I go by the bowl, I will swipe a handful of the M&M's. We had, uh, and we still do uh, on a Sunday morning, have M&M's out in the lobby. And they will be gone like in just one, before like you even arrived on a Sunday morning. Because people are just going swiping the M&M's. There is something about M&M's that makes me very in patient because I just want to eat the M&Ms. Now, there's, what, there's an old saying in life, and it's this, that patience is a virtue. Patience is a virtue. I'm sure you've all heard of that saying. But actually, I would go a little step further and say patience is a little bit more than a virtue. I would say if you want to excel in this life, then you need patience. If you want to live this life for all this life is worth, then you need patience. If you want to experience joy in this life, then you need patience. If you want to be fulfilled in all the things that you do in life, then patience is a requirement to that life. In 2005, I moved to the United States. And one of the first things I noticed about the United States is everything has a drive-through. Everything. In the UK, there is McDonald's, there is KFC, and there is Burger King. All have drive-throughs. Everything else, there is no drive-through. So when I moved to the United States, I got here and I was like, man, well, there's McDonald's, 
And then there's KFC, just, which just has gone downhill, if you ask me. And then there's Burger King, which just didn't taste the same. And then you've got Wendy's. And then you've got all these other restaurants. And they've all got drive throughs And then I once went to get some ice cream. And I saw Dairy Queen. And I'm like, you can even get ice cream drive through And I even think they have Rita's drive throughs now. And then the ultimate one for me was... One thing about Americans is they don't like to wait for anything. And I include myself in that because I've become that person. But they have instant in everything but coffee. What is the deal? It's like there is, there is instant everything in this life and that we have, but Americans don't like instant coffee. So we would have instant coffee in the UK and it was kind of gross and stuff. But... but we would then go to Starbucks and we could choose to wait five minutes for our coffee at Starbucks and we could go into Starbucks or we can just choose to wait in our car where it's hot, you know, and the, and the fumes are just getting to us and we can wait in the drive-thru for five minutes. I just didn't understand it. But I thought, okay, that's just the way the American life is. But then I discovered drive through ATMs and drive through banks. I thought they were the greatest invention in the world. I'd never experienced a drive through ATM or a drive through bank, and I must admit, I'm addicted to them. I use them all the time. Even if there are 50 cars backed up, I am not going to get out of that car. I'm going to use the drive through bank teller ATM. But then I discovered one day I went into Walgreens, and I just went in there to pick up a, 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 a prescription. And my wife, Raquel, was like, why are you going into the store? She goes, there's a drive through I'm like, there is a drive through for pharmacies. I'm like, that just totally is an, just uh, weird to me. The fact is, the reason most of us need to go to the pharmacy is because, let's be honest, most of us need a little exercise, right? So instead of of like getting out of a car and walking the 30 feet to the pharmacist and getting the medicine that's going to make us feel better. Instead, we stay in our car, we drive around, and then we just live life by chemicals and we feel so good about it. I just couldn't believe it. But the thing about America is that we do not like to wait. Patience is very limited in the United States of America. You ask someone to line up for a couple of hours, you know, to go to, uh, 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 I don't know, go to a theme park or something, and you start hearing people just like getting agitated and getting mad. Because let's be honest, Americans, we want everything instant. Patience is kind of on the lesser side. But as we enter into the last book of James, and today we're going to be going through chapter 5 of the book of James. We see that James gives us one more Jimmy, one more sprinkle that he believes that we should put on the ice cream of life. And this Jimmy is called godly patience. Godly patience. You know, he gives us two areas in which we need to show patience in our life in order to live this life to the full. One being in the area of waiting for God's promises. If God promises you something, you wait for it. The other is in the area of prayer. That you sometimes you pray and you have to wait for your answer to prayer. 
But before we get into that this morning, I, I just want to just share something quick because we've been going through like verse by verse, uh, every, uh, uh, every verse in the book of James. In James chapter 5, verse 1 to 6, we won't read it, but James kind of gets a little off tangent. It's kind of like something is bugging James as he's writing this book to all these Jewish believers who are scattered throughout the world. And he starts chapter 5 a little different to all the others. He, he starts uh, to, to use six verses to just express his frustration at rich people. People who have just gained a lot of wealth. And, and he doesn't vent at them because they are wealthy, but he vents at them because they are starting to live their life for themselves and not for others. He, he says that there, there are rich men uh, who, who, who have employers and uh, they give their employees very low wages, but yet themselves, they take huge profit themselves. And James says, he says, they're just taking the fat and it's not good. In fact, he says that those men who, 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 are, uh, uh, who are taking advantage of other people and bringing everything for themselves, he says that they are condemned and they will suffer. He actually uses these words. He will suffer when the day of slaughter comes. And what he means is that one day every one of us will stand before God and God will judge us for the life that we're living, that we have lived on this earth. And he says that those men who have taken advantage of others and used their wealth for themselves instead of giving it to others or helping others, he says that they're going to be in a hard, hard time when God judges them. Aren't you thankful you're not rich, right? You know? And I don't know about you, but I'm not rich. But after James left out a bit of steam about these rich people, he gets back into alignment we're basically writing how to live this life of faith. And this morning, we're going we're to start at James chapter 5 and verse 7. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to James chapter 5, verse 7. And this is what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance, and uh, you can see how the Lord was kind to him in the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy, but most of all, brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no, so that no one will sin and be condemned. You know, the Bible is full of promises. Promises that God gives to men and women. And some of you, you may have been on this faith journey for a while and God has given you promises. You know God has promised you some things in life. Because God is a God who makes promises. But the Bible also tells us that God is also a God who never breaks a promise. So when God makes a promise, He does not break that promise. So if God has given you a promise in your life, 
that promise will eventually come to fruition because God never, ever breaks a promise. And if you're a believer of Jesus Christ this morning, then Jesus has given you a promise. And this is the promise that he has given. That one day, we're not sure when, but one day Jesus Christ will return to this earth to come and gather and get his church. And his church is the believers of Jesus Christ. The people come together who who are believers of Jesus Christ. So if that is you this morning, Jesus has given you a promise. And that promise is that one day he will return. Now, he was on this earth 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago. And that was a promise that he made. Many people would question that promise because it has not happened yet. It's something that he promised a long, long time ago. And there's many people who just question whether that is going to happen or not. But the Bible tells us that God does not break a promise. And Jesus promised that he would come back again. And one day, Jesus will be coming back for you and for me. And and, and on that day, this is what will happen. Jesus Christ will rescue you from this life. From all the troubles in this world. Now just think about your lives right now. Just some of the things that you are going through. Maybe you're going through some financial struggles in your life. Jesus says he is going to come and rescue you from those financial troubles. Maybe you're, you're going through just some struggles with some temptation in your life that you just can't get away from. And everything you do, it's just like oh, this monkey on your back that you can't get, get out of your life. Jesus promised that when he returns, he will take away those temptations in your life. Maybe you've got fears about today and tomorrow. Maybe there's things in your life that you are very fearful of. Jesus promised to relieve you of those fears. Maybe there's been some letdowns in life. Maybe people have just done, done you wrong and done things that, 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 that shouldn't have been done to you. Maybe you've been very disappointed with different people. Jesus Christ will come and rescue you from those letdowns. Maybe you go through bouts of depression and, and, and one day, you know, you're, you're on cloud nine. Life is great. And then the next day, it's just a dark, dark place where you live. Jesus Christ said he will rescue you from that depression. Maybe you suffer anxiety. Maybe you've been going through some loneliness in your life. Jesus Christ will rescue you from that anxiety and loneliness. He'll rescue from hardships because Jesus will come and return. And when he returns, he will take you to a place. And the Bible tells us it's a place where there is no more tears, there is no more pain, there is no more anxiety, there is no more struggling, there is no more sorrow. It's a place where there there is no more night, that there is joy, there is life, there is light, And everybody is just happy with life. I don't know about you, but I kind of want to go to that place right now. I mean, you know, I think Disney World's a pretty happy place. But this place is going to be way happier than Disney. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. And I'm holding Jesus to that promise that he is one day going to return for us. But 
even though there's a day that Jesus will rescue us from this world, that day has not come yet. It hasn't come yet. And this is what Jesus says. Well, this is what James says. James says that we must wait patiently. He says we must wait, and we must wait, and we must wait. And then we must be patient, and be patient again, and patient again. He says, don't keep your eyes off the prize. That's the prize. That one day God will relieve all these pains and these anxieties, and we'll have a great life. And don't keep your eyes off the prize. Just wait. Be patient. In fact, James gives us this example of a farmer who plants a seed in the ground. And once he's planted the seeds, he's toiled the ground, planted the seed, then he sits back and there's nothing the farmer can do about it. All the farmer can do is wait patiently for the rain to come, then the sun to come out, and eventually over time, the farmer will receive a harvest for that seed that he has planted. And many of you, you have planted seeds in the garden of heaven. Many of you, you have planted seeds of prayer. Maybe prayer for a loved one who who doesn't know the Lord. Maybe someone who's struggling through some things. Maybe it's prayer for some sickness that's going on in your life. But you know you've prayed and you have prayed. Those are seeds that have been planted in the garden of heaven. Maybe some of you, you've planted seeds of sacrificial giving. You know you have given to God, even though it was a sacrifice to give. Those are seeds that have been planted in the garden of heaven. Maybe seeds of evangelism. You know you've got friends who don't know God. You may have co-workers who don't know God, family members who don't know God. And you have taken upon yourself to tell them about Jesus. Maybe you can't see anything right now, but they are seeds that have been planted in the garden of heaven. Maybe you've planted seeds of faithfully serving, being committed to God. So, you know, seeds of doing the right thing in your marriage and and for your kids. Those are seeds that have been planted in the garden of heaven. And so James is saying, be patient Just as a farmer knows that the harvest will come, be patient because those seeds that you have planted, whether in prayer, whether in giving, whether in serving, whether in telling others about Jesus, whether it's it's standing up and living a, a, a godly moral life, those seeds that you have planted, eventually they will yield a harvest. There will be fruit for those seeds. But the problem with so many of us is that when we wait, we just become restless. There's restlessness that goes on in our lives. And waiting can often cause us to complain. We complain to God because we don't see the, the, you know, we don't see the answers or, or we've done things and, and, and we're just not seeing the fruit. Maybe we complain to each other. We start to judge one another because maybe someone, that, that what they've planted, they're now seeing a harvest. But what we planted, it's just nothing. It's just dirt. I mean, we can't even see, you know, any, anything of new life at all. And we start to complain. And James says, don't fall into this trap. 
when you feel discouraged, when you feel that God just isn't showing up as you thought He would show up, when that happens, James says that you need to start to take comfort from, he says, the stories of the prophets. In the Bible, there's tons of stories about different people who waited patiently for God. And I tell you this morning, if you are a, a new believer of Jesus Christ, if you've only been walking this journey of faith for a little bit, my encouragement to you would be this. Try to spend as much time as you can with people who have been walking this journey of faith for a long time. And this is why. Because they will be able to tell you story after story of how God has been faithful time and time and time again. And it will encourage you. It will lift you up and you will realize that God is working. I remember as a, as, as a child, just sitting around our dinner table, my dad was a pastor and we would have different missionaries and pastors coming to our house all the time. And I would just hear the stories of these people of faith. And, and, and it would just, I just realized, wow, God really is faithful in all things. And so if you are someone, you are struggling right now with, with just patiently waiting for God, I tell you, one thing, the best thing that you could do is maybe call up someone who you know they've been on this journey of faith for a long time. Take them out for coffee. Take them out for lunch. Just, just you know, uh, I don't know, Facebook them or whatever. And just ask them to share some of the stories of how God has been faithful in your life. It will encourage you. It will lift you up. It will take you out of that place where you feel, where is God? To like, man, I can't wait for God to show himself because when God will, I'll have a story just like that. And that's what James says. He says there's these prophets of old. Just read their stories. You will see time and time and time again, they waited for God and eventually God showed up. He gives an example of, of a guy called Job. Who, who was probably at the time the richest man on the planet. He had everything you could imagine. He had tons of kids. He, he had a beautiful wife. And in the space of almost just one day, he lost everything. Every, all his wealth, he lost his kids. His wife went from being, you know, this beautiful, wonderful, submissive wife to just... I can't really say the words probably that, you know, could describe her best. But not a nice woman. His friends who were always with him started to grumble and complain against him. And this is what Job says. He says, you know, even though God slay me, even though I have all this stuff, he's still the God who is faithful to me. He's still, he says, my redeemer, the one who, who can take me out of the place I'm in right now and elevate me to another place. And, and, and I'm not sure how long Job went through all this. I, I could think it was probably many, many months, many years. But eventually, Job regained not only all that he lost, but the Bible says God gave him double to what he had before. Why? Because Job, through it all, was just patient. Patience is the key to having a life well lived. If you want a life well lived, patience is the key. But James carries on. He doesn't just talk about the promises of God. He also talks about prayer as well. And in James chapter 5 and verse 13, it says this. It says, are any of you suffering hardships? 
then you should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Some of you sing praises in your own mind because your voices aren't as good. Don't do it too loud. It says, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you. Anointed you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer that is offered in faith will heal the sick. And the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Then it says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Then it says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Let me ask you this morning, and I ask for a show of hands because I'm including this. How many of you have ever prayed and you felt God has not answered that prayer? Want to lift your hands? Wow. Check out the people who didn't have their hands up. They're the people you want praying for you. That's a, it's happened to me so many times. I've prayed and I felt that God has not answered my prayer. And you know what? One of the hardest things, one of the things I'm, when I get to heaven, there's a couple of questions I want to ask God. I'm like, God, why, why do you let children suffer? I mean, that's one question I just struggle with. Second question is, God, why do you not answer all my prayers? When I pray according to what you say, why do you not answer all my prayers? You know what? I don't know why God doesn't answer all my prayers. I have seen God answer some incredible prayers, some things instantly, some things over time. And, then, and it's been like, it had to be God. Then there's other times I prayed and prayed. I'm like, God, are you even listening to me? And, and some theological things that we could talk about that we're not going to talk about this morning. That we could, realize why God doesn't answer all my prayers. But it's a question I want to ask God when I get to heaven. Because it's so hard to understand at times why God answers some prayers and God doesn't answer every prayer. But this is what I've discovered over time. And I sometimes, I'm a quick learner at some things. Some things I'm a pretty slow learner. And I think in this, I became a slow learner. God does answer every prayer. And there's always three answers that God gives. One of the three. Yes, no, and wait. Yes, no, and wait. That's God's three answers to prayer. Yes, no, or wait. And I've always found that if we believe who God is, says he is. If God really is who God says he is, and we believe that, then we have to be okay with any of those answers. We have to be okay with any of those answers. And I've had times in my life when I've prayed, and God said no. And I have to be okay with that. I've, there's times when I've prayed and God has said yes. And I have to be okay with and then there's times I've prayed and I know God says, wait. And I have to be okay with waiting. The reason is, is because God is in a totally different level to what we are on. 
we cannot understand the way God works. You are just a mere human being who is tainted by sin. You are not God. And even though at times we think we know what is best, He ultimately knows what is best. And just because you've prayed and God hasn't answered, it doesn't mean that God isn't listening. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It doesn't mean that God just, you know, just thinks that you're just some terrible people. It doesn't mean that God has, this person is his favorite and you're not his favorite. It just means that God knows best. And he's given you an answer. Yes, no, or wait. Yes, no, or wait. I think this at times can be a little controversial. And the reason I, I think it's controversial is what James says here. There's, there, and, and the other night, some of us guys, uh, we, we, we were together and we were talking about some of the things in the church. And we were talking about this issue. And, and, and you could just tell just there was four of us. And it just in, in uh, our conversation, we all had very different views on this. And it's, it's pretty unique. But James says this. He says, if there is any sick amongst you, he says, then call for the elders of the church, you know, the spiritual leaders of the church, you know, not just the old guys, you know, who can't walk, the actual spiritual leaders of the church. Call for them. He says, then have them lay hands on you. Then get some oil. And then let them anoint you with oil. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Then he says, and then they shall pray the prayer of faith. And then James says, and you will be made well. And you will be made well. So I've always believed this and I do believe it. I believe it's a biblical practice. I believe that if you're sick, then we should come together. We should pray on you. We should lay hands on you. We should anoint you with oil because the Bible says it. And if we believe who God is, who God is then we should do what God says and tells us to do. And so I believe it, but I've seen it time and time and time again, where we've done it, someone's been sick, and some have been healed, and some haven't been healed. And like I said, there's so many reasons why that may be the case, and it can be a little controversial. And I think sometimes we so focus on saying, well, God says this, but it didn't happen. But ultimately, this is what James is saying. He's not talking about whether God answers a prayer or not. This is what James is saying. If you are going through a hard time, if you are sick, if you are suffering, if you're going through some trials in your life, if you're having some marriage issues, if you're having some financial issues, if if you are struggling with temptation, if you are going through things in your life that you cannot cope with, this is what James says. Pray. Pray. That is the overall theme of what James is saying. In all things, pray. And I believe that the prayer that offered is in faith is a prayer that works. I believe that when we, we lay hands on people, I believe in divine healing. I believe that God is a God that heals today as he did 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked this earth. That, that's just the way it is. And we could, I mean, if you don't agree with that, that's fine. We can disagree. But I believe it because God says it's true. But that's not the point of what James is writing about. James is saying, if you go through hard times, pray. Pray. If you're suffering, pray about it. So many times we just try to analyze it, I think. 
We try to think through the situations in our lives. Sometimes we try to get ourselves through the suffering that we are going through. But James says, forget all that. Pray. Pray. You know, my, my, my dad's church, when he was a pastor, he's retired now. But they had this big banner in, in the lobby of their church. And, they said, and this, was, this was what was on the banner. It says that prayer should be your first resource not your last resort. And, and it, that's what James is saying. Don't wait until you're just going through a hard time to pray. Immediately when you go through things, start to pray. You know, one thing that when, we got ma- when I got married, Raquel was, just couldn't believe. And she just, women kind of do this. Men have things set up in the ways that men have set up. And women will just come in and they'll just like, just like go through it and they'll throw things out. So I have socks that I love, you know, and I've worn for many years and they may have a few little holes in them. And I remember when we first got married, my socks just kept disappearing. I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, we got a sock thief here. Uh, But no, she saw holes in them and she threw them out, which to me was just like, you just never throw a guy's socks out. Just don't do it. Ladies, if you're not married and you get married, don't throw a guy's socks out. Same goes for underwear, but we'll talk, we won't talk about that. But one thing I've noticed about the holes in my socks is this. You can get a little hole, tiny little hole like this. And if you don't do anything about it, it takes five minutes to get a needle and thread and sew it up. And real men can sew, let me tell you that. Needle thread, sew it up, and then it's good. But I don't do that. This is what I do. I keep wearing the same socks until the hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Eventually, I have to throw the socks away. That can be like your life. You can go through something in your life, and you go, go through a hard time, and you know something's coming up. And instead of just fixing it with prayer and soaking it with prayer and letting prayer be your first resort and coming to God, this is what we do. We just try to fix it ourselves. We go through life. And eventually, that trial has gone from a little thing to this big thing. And it's consumed our lives and destroyed our lives. James is saying, hey, if you want to live life to the full, don't wait around. Pray about it pray about it. The problem is, is we don't often see the results to prayer that we thought we would see. So instead of trusting in God, we try to do it ourselves. But James says, pray, then pray again, then wait, then wait again, and then wait for God until you see God working in that situation. And when we do this, God will answer. A few weeks ago, we talked about James chapter 1. And in James chapter 1, it says that, it says that if if any of you are suffering, if anyone is going through hardships, count it as joy because God is developing you. He, He is causing endurance which will perfect you. Then he says this, he says then, pray the prayer of wisdom. Pray the prayer of wisdom. And that's what we should do. And this Lord leads us to a promise that, that James gives us in, in James chapter 5 and, and, uh, and verse 16. He says this, he says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. This is what I think 
An earnest prayer is. Another translation will say the effective prayer. I think the effective prayer is this. It is a prayer offered in faith, meaning that even though I can't see it, I'm going to believe that God's going to do it. Faith. A prayer that's offered in faith, but also a prayer that is patient. A patient, faithful prayer is an effective prayer. Prayer. And this is what James says that a prayer that is offered like that to God, that is made by a person who is right with God, meaning that they've allowed the grace of God just to come and change their lives, and now they're in right standing with God. A prayer that is offered by that kind of person accomplishes wonderful results. If you want results in prayer, then you need to allow God. Just to keep transforming your life. And then start offering prayers that are patient and faithful. Let me just say a bye thing. We prayed for a lady in our church years ago called Karen. She was a beautiful young lady. And we, she had cancer. And we prayed. And we prayed. And we prayed. And you know what? God healed her. It was amazing. Church was just rejoicing. I mean, everybody was just so invested in prayer. We rejoiced. And we just, I mean, it was just amazing. Two years later, she went into remission. It came back. And the church, we were just like, okay, we're going to pray. God healed her once. God's going to heal her again. You know what happened this time? We prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed some more. We did everything that we could possibly think of. And God took her. You know what I've noticed? Prayer works. But when your time is up, your time is up. When God has marked a date in your life, your time is up. It doesn't mean that prayer doesn't work. It doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong in prayer. It just means that there's sometimes God says no. And we have to be okay with that. Because if we believe who God says he is, we have to be okay with that. Finally, James gives this illustration of a guy called Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of God, and he lived in an evil, evil place where everybody worshipped other gods. And Elijah prayed to God that it would not rain, that there would be a drought to prove to these people that you shouldn't be evil and you should worship God. And you know what happened? Elijah prayed, and immediately Elijah prayed, God answered prayer. And the Bible says it did not rain for three and a half years. I don't know about you, but I kind of want to be one of those guys who can pray like that. You know, hey, God, I'm like, give me a million dollars. Boom, it's right there. It's like, wow, I want to be that person. This is with Elijah. He prayed that there was no rain and there was no rain. Instant yes. Three and a half years later, Elijah's like, I'm a little thirsty. I'm like, we need a little rain. And this is what happened. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 42, says, So King Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the, mount, the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, Go and look out towards the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Elijah's praying for rain. God, send the rain. 
Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. So we got a man, Elijah. He prayed that there would be no rain. Instantly, God answered prayer. Three and a half years later, the guy prayed again, thinking, God's going to send rain, I prayed. He says to his servant, go look out to the sea, tell me that the rain's coming. The servant goes, sorry boss, I didn't see anything. Elijah's like, okay. Something must be not right. I must not be holding my prayer beads right or something. You know, I must not be doing something right. Okay, let me pray again. So he prays, tells his servant, sorry, Elijah, it ain't happening. I can't see anything. So he goes again and he prays and he goes, God, send the rain, send the rain. So he sends to, to his servant, go out again. Surely the rain must be there right now. And the servant goes and it's dry and it's barren and the sky is, is just totally blue. And the servant is like, sorry, Elijah, no rain. Three times. I wonder how many would have, would have given up after three times. Not Elijah. Elijah's like, no, I know this thing works. I know when I pray to God, God hears and God answers. So he went again, fourth time, prayed. Maybe he spent a little longer. Maybe he fasted and prayed this time. I, I, I don't know. He said to his servant, go look, is there rain? And the servant comes back, no, no rain. At this point, I'm sure Elijah is getting uh, very discouraged. How many of you, you've prayed, you've earnestly prayed to God. You've seen God answers prayers before, but now you're praying and nothing is happening at all. Six times in all, Elijah prayed and nothing happened. Imagine if Elijah had stopped at that sixth prayer. The land would have been desolate. People probably would have died because there was a drought, but not Elijah. Elijah prayed one more time. He was saying, I'm going to pray until there is rain. And he prayed. He sent his servant. And his servant said, yeah, I'm seeing something in the distance. He came back. He says, Elijah, I see a cloud. It ain't a very big cloud. It's like the size of a man's hands. I'm like, I don't know if I'm just seeing things, but there's something there. And you know what Elijah did? Elijah in faith said, quick, go tell the king the rain is coming. Go tell the king the rain is coming. How many of you saw that, that rainstorm that came in, was it Thursday, I think, morning? It got black. I mean, I, 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 I was in, in my office and suddenly I looked out and it felt like it was like 10 o'clock at night. It was freaky and weird. That's exactly what happened. No rain for two and a half, three and a half years. And, if, and, if, and now it was black. And the rain came. 
We see two levels of faith that Elijah had. One was to place his trust in God and patiently wait for God to answer. The second, when God answered, he ran with the answer. When God gave him this little nugget, he ran with the answer. And so often the problem for us is that we just can't wait long enough for God to answer. Or, or we just don't run when God gives us a little thing to hold on to. But the patient follower of Jesus Christ is a strong follower of Jesus Christ. God's timing is not always our timing. He sometimes lets suffering happen in in our lives. However, this isn't to destroy us, but it's to mold us so that we become more like him. And when we patiently wait for God, God will come. We may not know when he will come, but he will come. So be patient in the situations that bother you in life. Be patient in prayer. And and above all else, trust God. And know that what you have planted in God will one day bring the harvest. So for all you who have waited patiently for your M&Ms, God has just answered prayer. You can now eat your M&Ms if you want. That's exactly what prayer is like. God will sometimes give us a little thing, and then sometimes we have to wait for the rest after. You know, as we close this book of James, I hope you've discovered that you can live a life that's normal and average. But the normal, average life is just full of trials, full of temptations, full of problems. It's full of suffering, many empty religious acts, and it's full of unanswered questions. But yet, when you live the life that James tells us to live. When you live life with jimmies, when, when, when you pray for wisdom, then you gain endurance. When you humbly seek to listen to people more than you want to talk to people. When you put your faith in action and actually do what your faith says. When you 